0: Well, good morning and welcome to Riverside Community Church this morning. Uh, when Pastor John uh, asked me to fill in, when he said, hey, Bruce, would you, uh, would you mind filling in for me? Um, you know, I had no idea exactly what it would all entail. Uh, I, I thought, hey, you know, I'll get a chance to the privilege to preach God's word in the morning. But I've learned that when Pastor John says, would you fill in for me? He has a little bit more in mind. Uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. Filling in for Pastor John also means uh, walking his dog. So, um, and, and I said, okay, no problem, you know, weather's getting nice, I can walk your dog, he's like, uh-uh, take out my trash, so, yeah, and, uh, you know, then it's like, hey, no problem, I want to be a servant to a great servant, and then he's like, oh, wait, one more thing, wash my car, so. You know, so filling in for Pastor John uh, is, is a great, great thing. But if he asks you, just, just know he's got other things in mind. Well, hey, folks, uh, one of the attributes of God is his uh, eternality. He is not limited by space or time. And, and often when I get to preaching the word, I forget that I don't share that attribute with him. So I want to get right into uh, the message today. Uh, the title of my message is The Division of the Cross. As we draw near to Easter, when we think of the cross, we often focus on the suffering of Jesus, but I want us to take a little bit different approach this morning. The most important question that any one of us can give an answer to is the question of who is Jesus? Even more so than than does God exist or does even Jesus exist? It's who is He? Who is He? That that answer that we give uh, will define our worldview and what we believe will determine how we live. Um, More than just you believe He existed, who is He? All of Scripture is centered on Jesus Christ. Uh, You look at all 66 books of the Bible, it's kind of like a tree. What what we look at, when we look at a tree, we see everything above the ground. We see the center trunk, uh, the main column. But if we were to look under the ground, we would see the intricate root system. And so all of Scripture are like those roots, but they're all connected and for, their, for the sole purpose of presenting the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. It's such an important question. It's the one that he asked of his own disciples in Matthew 16, 15, along with his synoptic counterparts, Mark 8 and Luke 9. Who do you say that I am? And this answer has divided families, friends communities and nations and how this applies to the cross is that this one event was the climax of jesus's earthly life and ministry the climax of god's plan for the salvation of man that was started centuries before by his death on the cross, he solidified, made official what he taught in John fourteen six when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you want to understand why understanding good grammar is so important to the study of God's word, just look at that one little definite article, the. Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you do a thorough reading of the discourses in the Gospel of John, they teach us four very important truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus came to provide eternal life, John 3.16. Number two, Jesus came to save the world, not just the Jewish nation, but all mankind. Jesus demonstrated that in John 4 when he broke through the cultural barriers and went into Samaria and talked to the woman at the well. Number three, Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, John eight. 48 through 59, and John 10, 22 to 33. And number four, Jesus divided human hearts between belief and unbelief. In John 9, verse 16, and we'll look at that verse a little bit later, it's this fourth truth that I want to focus on today, the division of the cross. Jesus divides. Our main text is going to be Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39. It's on the screen if you want to follow along as I read. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So, folks, today I have four points that I want to make. So here they are. I'm going to lay them out for you at the beginning. Bad news, good news, bad news, good news. All right. Now, we, we all are working on an hour less sleep, but let's say that together to make sure that we're all on the right page. Here we go. Ready? Bad news. Good news, bad news, good news. All right, the first bad news and good news are in reference to those, maybe even those here today who have not placed their trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so I hope you will listen and consider as I bring Scripture to you. Now, if you have already done that, please don't tune out. Don't be checking Facebook. Uh, Don't be following March Madness on your ESPN app. All right, this is important because as Christ followers, this is the message we are called to bring to the world. Bad news number one, not everyone will go to heaven. Not everyone will go to heaven. I I know it sounds harsh to say, maybe even harder to hear, but, but it's true. Uh, we live in a in a world that is convinced that everyone, well, well, maybe except really, really, really bad people, uh, all go to heaven or uh, to some final place of peace and rest after we die. Uh, I, hell, if if people even believe in it at all, is is a bad place, and people don't want to acknowledge the reality that they may end up there. You know, just talk to people who have lost loved ones and, and their, their salvation doesn't come up, but, but people want to say, but they're in a better place. Well, how do we know? Well, folks, God tells us how we can know exactly where we'll end up when this life is over. Look at the Hindus, they believe that a person can reach the final state of nirvana through a cycle of reincarnation, and the the better you are, the sooner you reach it. Buddhists believe in reaching the final state of peace, and good karma can get you there, just be positive. Uh, Even those within the Mormon church, some believe you can become your own god and populate your own planet, and I'm not making that up. The Baha'i faith, which is basically a conglomeration of religions, teaches that no actual heaven or hell exists, but rather people are on a journey to get their soul to ultimate perfection. And many are still convinced that just good works. If I just do enough good things, if I'm just a nice enough person, that I will get to heaven. A colleague of mine uh, during lunch at school offers a box hockey league to students. And at the end of the season, he, buy, he gets, gets a trophy for the, for the winner. And he goes to the same trophy store every year, and so he's begun to build a relationship with the store owner, though. This year, though, he went in, and, and just by by noticing how it's decorated and the music playing, he, he knew that this man was probably not originally from the United States, and so he asked him where he was from, and the store owner replied, Palestine. Well, the store owner knows that my colleague teaches at a Christian school, and so they began to talk about geography and religious tensions, and the store owner said, you know, I wish that we could all just get along while we're on earth because we all end up in the same place anyways. Well, this only proves what I'm saying. No, we don't. Uh, Some might believe that all dogs go to heaven, but people, that's another matter altogether. There's a division between belief and unbelief, and Scripture makes it crystal clear that apart from Jesus, our future will be one void of the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 10, as I read earlier, Jesus makes it clear that he will cause a division. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And in the original language, that word for sword is actually actually talking about judicial punishment. The division of the cross. Now, at first glance, it may seem as if Jesus is contradicting himself. I mean, isn't he referred to as the Prince of Peace? When we celebrate Easter, do we not focus on the message of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill towards men? But you're telling me here today that Jesus has come to not bring peace, but a sword? And the answer is yes. He offers this peace, though, to those who will receive him. However, because many won't, Jesus becomes a stumbling block, a sword that actually divides his very existence forces each of us, you and I, to choose. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And to some, maybe even here today, up to this point, maybe you've seen the cross as foolishness, but I want to tell you that it is your only hope for eternity. Now time tells me I have to move on. But I have to just talk about verse 34 a little bit more. Many of us know someone, maybe even people we love, we're related to, we care about deeply, a coworker, neighbor, family member, friend, who has not received the gift of Jesus. And because of this, it caused a division in your relationship. You could talk about the weather. You could talk about sports. You can even talk about politics, although I'm not going to go there this morning. But if you begin to bring up Jesus Christ, it's met with resistance. No, no, we'll have none of that, they say. Jesus is seen as a threat or an excuse. Many people will not come to the cross. They're divided because they say, well, if Jesus is really loving, if God is so loving, how can he allow bad things to happen? What they need to be taught, what we need to know, is that we live in an evil world. Evil, pain, sin exist because man used the good gift of free will given to us by a good God and we chose poorly. We made the wrong choice. But God has given us that freedom to choose. But that freedom of choice comes with consequences. And I don't have time. That's another sermon for another day, maybe. uh, Just about the indirect versus direct results of sin and consequences. But the fact is, when Adam and Eve, when they made that choice to rebel against God, it affected them physically. It affects all mankind physically. It affects the world that we live in. We have no real, true comprehension, I don't think, of the magnitude of the consequences of sin. I know it's hard when we see people suffer, people of any age. Uh, I have some dear, dear friends that have been involved in Christian education for over 20 years, and... um, Uh, The wife and the relationship she's given tirelessly uh, uh, for for, for children for for years and three weeks ago uh, She had surgery to remove cancer from her her, her mouth She had her entire soft palate removed and reconstructed with skin grafts from her arm and her leg She had her lymph nodes removed. She has a big gash from ear to ear. She has a, a feeding tube They're not even sure if her voice will sound the same as it did before the surgery And some would look at that and say, see, if God were loving, why would he allow that to happen? But you talk to her, and she'll tell you it's only because of God that she can get through that affliction. And even with her pain and suffering, she knows that her hope goes far beyond any pain that she will suffer in this lifetime. Because of man's choice to do wrong, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, and instead of using Jesus as an excuse for not coming to the cross embrace him today and place your faith in him well now I'm really running behind in Matthew chapter 10 verses 35 and 37 let me read this again he said for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here, Jesus is not saying that to follow him, we are to hate or neglect our family. That's often a wrong interpretation. However, two things I want to point out here. Number one, Jesus will cause division among family members, those who are close to us, uh, when some choose to receive him and some do not. Because to receive him means a change in our life, and the world will not understand it. Some might call us a traitor. Some might say that we're aliens, and guess what? We are. Ephesians 2.9 tells us that. I wish I had time to teach about what Jesus says in regards to persecution. We will be persecuted for him, even by those that we thought were closest to us. It's not pleasant from a human point of view, but praise God for what Jesus says in Matthew 5.12. Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so God persecuted the prophets who were before you. Number two, Jesus is not teaching hate towards others. The phrase set against is to show the reality of the division Jesus brings. He's basically stating that some of the worst case scenarios of following him could be division among family and friends. No one or nothing should get our allegiance or our worship Above Jesus Christ. So if it's a matter of following the will of God or the will of my family, if those two wills are not the same, I must choose the will of God. I cannot compromise my relationship with Jesus for anything or anyone. Jesus goes on to make it clear that anyone who places him in second place or lower and does not take up their cross and follow him is not worthy of him. Being a follower of Jesus means our lives uh, are patterned after the example that he has set. It's not a lip service salvation. Jesus is the life changer and our changed lives will reflect our salvation. I've heard some people say Jesus is an equal opportunity savior. He'll let anybody in to heaven. Well, anybody who has placed their faith and trust in him. He died so that mankind can now come into the presence of the Father, redeemed if we will receive it. But we must receive His gift. We can't live our life our way and expect God to be okay with that. And I think that some people are in for a big disappointment. Listen, don't just take my word for it. Let me take you on a quick journey through some passages in Scripture. This is not an exhausted list that that helps illustrate the fact that Jesus Christ divides hearts between belief and unbelief Matthew 7:13 through 14 the wide and the narrow gates many will go down the path that is wide few will go down the path that is narrow Matthew 7:21 not everyone who says lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father Matthew 7:24 through 27 talking about the wise and foolish building or builder will your house stand or will it be washed away Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus will deny those who deny him. Matthew 13, the parables of the soil and the net. Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding banquet. Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins that Pastor Joe talked about a few weeks ago, and the parable of the talents. Matthew 19, 16 through 22, the rich young ruler who, could not, uh, who would not sell his belongings and follow Jesus. See, he wanted eternal life, but on his terms, not God's. John 3, 3, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. John three eighteen, we condemn ourselves if we do not believe in Jesus. John 6, verse 66, many of those who had followed Jesus turned back and deserted him even one day after they had eaten a great meal of bread and fish because Jesus multiplied the food. John 9, 16, when Jesus healed the blind man, some said he was not from God and others said he was. Let me read that verse. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Luke 23, 42, Today you will be with me in paradise. It's a great story. Jesus was crucified on either side with two robbers uh, who when you look at Matthew 27 and Mark 15, you see that at the onset, they too were mocking Jesus. They were hurling insults and they were in the same boat that he was. But we see in Luke's account that something happened during that time that they were crucified and one of those robbers began to realize that maybe Jesus is the Son of God. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus offers him forgiveness. The list could go on and on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Many will perish if they do not accept, if they do not receive the free gift of salvation that came because of the cross. The cross that divides human hearts between belief and unbelief is the cross that today can give you freedom, freedom that we just sang about, hope, forgiveness, and the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. But that's the bad news, number one. The good news, the first good news, is that Jesus' death on the cross gives you the opportunity for salvation. Jesus' death on the cross has provided a way for you to be separated from, divided from, removed from the penalty of sin. I already read John 3.16. It's just amazing how much God loves you and me and what he would sacrifice. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First John 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm excited to say that that list of Scripture could go on and on. Today, if you're here you have not received this free gift of salvation, please know that you you don't have access to heaven apart from placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Other people will try to tell you that you can get there by being good or by doing good works or believing in, in something else or someone else, but the reality is, apart from Jesus Christ, you don't have access. But if you simply believe, and it's not just a mental acceptance, it's putting your reliance upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the only Son of God, perfect in all He is. God, the Son who came to earth to live among sinful man. He faced the punishment and judgment for your sin, for my sin. He suffered at the hands of unbelievers, had His body beaten and bruised, was nailed to the cross and died. And three days later, He rose from the grave. He was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses in His resurrected body, and He will return. If you believe this and acknowledge and confess your sins on your own, knowing that you can't do it on your own, but only through Jesus Christ, then today the good news for you is that you can be saved. You can be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. But folks, don't just say the words. Don't just say the words. You have to believe it in your heart. He is the life changer, and today your life can be changed. Are you tired of trying to fill the emptiness in your life with other things? with other relationships only coming to the same conclusion that they don't really fill you at all, then my word for you today is stop fighting the cross. Come today and be healed. Jesus is ready to receive you, forgive you, and welcome you into new life, not just eternal life, but make your life that you have left on earth more than you could ever imagine. Folks, it's not just good news. It's the best news. And so... At this time, I want to ask if you would just bow your head. And today, today, if you realize that Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, if you have not confessed your sin and received the gift that he is giving to you through his death on the cross, then simply just now in the quietness of your your heart where you're sitting, just say, Jesus, I need to receive you. I confess my sin. I know I don't have access to heaven. I want to not only experience eternal life, but a fulfilling life on this earth as well, through you. I ask you to be my Savior. And even if you didn't say it exactly like that, if you sincerely have received Jesus Christ, then you are now forgiven. You are now a child of God. You get to inherit the life of that Jesus Christ has for you, you get to inherit eternal life. And Father, I thank you. I thank you for giving us the truth, for allowing us to know the truth. And I thank you for those here today that have received this good news for the first time. Father, bless them, Lord, as they are now forgiven, as they are now redeemed, as they are now welcomed into your family. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And I ask that if you prayed that prayer, that when we're done today, that you would simply come and meet me, meet members of the prayer team after the service. We want to rejoice with you. We want to pray for you because Scripture tells us when one lost soul is saved, all of heaven rejoices, and we at Riverside want to rejoice with you. Now, now, folks, I have to admit, that was just my introduction but now we come to the second bad news, good news, and this might be a little bit more uncomfortable for some of us to hear. Bad news number two is that there is division in the church. The church is divided. There are several ways I could approach this, but I, I, I want to do it by asking us to consider Jesus uh, dimensionally. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, oftentimes... Uh, People, we look at Jesus with only a one-dimensional view. There's going to be a picture of a a box there, just a square, just a one-dimensional view. We have no idea how deep or wide or high it is. It's just a square. And sometimes if we focus only on the love, the mercy, compassion, and or forgiveness of Jesus, uh, the positive nature, the positive attributes, what I like to call the comforting aspect of Jesus, um, if we focus only on that, Uh, We're not getting the fullness of Jesus. He is love. He is mercy. He is compassionate, forgiving, gracious, kind, and gentle, but he's also just and holy. He is the high priest. He is the judge. He is the truth. And the problem is, is that if we only focus on these comforting attributes of Jesus, we will slowly begin to make sin benign become desensitized to sin's destructive power, and even overlook it so as to justify our own life choices and to not offend others in the name of tolerance. And my friends, it's happening in the church, and we have got to be on guard. Paul warns about this in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, Paul tells Timothy, the young pastor, in Second Timothy four verse three, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Folks, why are we so afraid to call sin sin? When did we lower the bar? When did we lower the standards set by Jesus Christ and water down his expectations to make our life easier and less prohibited? Now, here's where it might get dicey because we're going to talk about some specifics. How have we in the church allowed ourselves to believe that man has the authority to define marriage and to accept same-sex relationships? Look at the racial tension in our world. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's nihilism, which is the philosophy that that basically promotes total rejection of established laws and institutions, and it's widespread in our culture. It's infiltrating the church. The news, social media, flooded with uh, uh, posts of dissension and cries that black lives matter and blue lives matter, and it's infiltrating the church. When did we forget the message of that childhood song? That many of us learned in Sunday school. The words which probably today would be considered politically incorrect. But I'm going to say them for us anyways. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow. Black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Folks. We need to let it be known with love that to Jesus Christ, all lives matter. From the CEO to the server in your favorite restaurant, from the chief of police to the one who makes their living hurting and robbing others. Jesus loves you and his way is better than your way. It's better than my way. Sin is sin. But I don't want to simply mention those two things because they're getting a lot of publicity. When did it become acceptable in the church to embezzle and steal? to lie and to cheat, to gossip and and slander others to make ourselves look good, to say that sex before marriage with anyone is okay if the two people simply love each other. When was it okay to teach our kids that being the top athlete or getting the highest-paying job is more important than being a person of biblical integrity? We look at stories of Jesus hanging out with the sinners, and we want to say, he didn't judge, he accepted, why shouldn't we? Now, I could go off on a really long tangent about our need to be careful about which Bible we read because Bibles are being printed today, folks, that are not the true truth of the gospel. and We've got to be careful, but I'm not going to do that now because you all need to get to lunch here soon. But listen, go back and read the gospel and you will never, ever, ever see Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, or even the religious righteous without calling them to repentance. He just doesn't do it. Sure, he loves them. He says, I want you to know me, but I'm going to call you to the better life than what you're living now, the only life that you should be living. We must call sinners to repent. Yes, we need to do it in love. We have been washed and cleaned, even in our rebellion, and we need to let others know in love that they can be washed and cleaned. How many storylines from books and movies can we think of where someone came from nothing, became something, but forgot where they came from? And believer, we can't forget where we came from. It's because of the love of God and I bet the love of others that you and I came to hear the truth, know the truth, and receive the truth. And so we must go out in that same love and with that same truth and say you can have a life change. The parable of the unmerciful servant teaches us that. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul goes on to say, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But our problem is that we're so worried about offending others by addressing sin with the full truth of the gospel that we're offending the Savior who died on the cross to save us from that sin. Now, quickly, by contrast, we can focus too much on the harsher attributes of Jesus as well, like him being our judge, righteousness, holiness, that we come to believe that we can never, ever be good enough. And actually, on our own, we can't. But the devil wants us to live a defeated life. And so if, if we don't have the fullness of, In our minds, the full picture of Jesus Christ, it's going to mess us up. And so that's why we need to have a three-dimensional view of Jesus. A three-dimensional, we have to see Jesus in the fullness of who He is. A loving Savior, a gentle Savior, a compassionate Savior, but one who says, this is the truth, and you must follow it, or I will deny you. That is the reality that we have to know. I want to talk about the Millennials. The emerging generation, those born between 1980 and 2001. Because this benign view of sin is very popular with this generation. Jeff Myers, who's the president of Summit Ministries, which uh, is designed to develop students with a biblical worldview and teach them how to um, defend their faith in his book Cultivate, List 12 characteristics of this generation. Now, now don't, don't get all, hey, Nielsen, you're about to label me. No, if you're in this generation, these are just generalizations. But honestly, if we look at our culture, we can actually see these being true. Let me read just a few of them. The emerging generation lives in complexity, meaning they don't just want simple answers. They want the full truth. Now, I'm not going to get all Tom Cruise on you and a few good men, but... The emerging generation, they want to change the world. They're passionate. They tend to be overly self-confident. They have a hard time accepting no for an answer. They often have a negative view of the church. And part of that is our fault as well. They embrace moral relativism. Meyer says that this generation, more so than the baby boomers, are twice as likely to have multiple sex partners by the age of 18 and abuse drugs and cheat. This is far more common. In fact, studies have even showed that they think it's more wrong to not recycle than to look at pornography on the internet. The emerging generation is overly stressed out. They're extremely connected, social media. I don't have to say that uh, anymore about that. And the last one is just fascinating. With all of that, though, as connected as they are, a characteristic of this generation is that they are lonely. Young adults, some in high school, some barely out of high school, Uh, Many that even though they've been brought up in the church, Christian homes, and families with the teaching of the Bible, uh, they are embracing this moral relativism and now calling those who dare to call sin, sin, things like haters and intolerance. All in the name of tolerance, and boy, our culture's done a really bang-up job redefining that term. They've defined tolerance now as, as meaning uh, to accept everyone and everything and do not dare to disagree or tell someone they're wrong. We've got to redefine tolerance as it was meant to be. And if in the body we do call sin, sin, or call someone to the standard of the Word of God, so often it's met with rebuttal or rebuke. Words fly before you know it. They're offended. They walk away from the faith. They blame the church. And these are the current, these are actually some of the future leaders of the church. And folks, if we water down God's word to keep from offending them, what hope do we have of leaving a legacy of Christ's likeness for the future? So I've said bad news, good news, bad news, but folks, we need to end with the good news. And there is good news, and that is it's not too late. It's not too late. There's hope. All is not lost. What Jesus has ordained in the church, Matthew 16, 18, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I guess it comes down to whether or not we will be on his side. Or will we be against it? This is the division of the cross. Ah, The words of the great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, based on Psalm 46, written by Martin Luther, the great theologian, the great uh, apologist, and great teacher, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that little word is Jesus. You missed your cue to say amen. Let me say that again. The little word is Jesus. Jesus. He is our creator. He was there before there was light, and he will be there long after the things of this world go dark. It is Jesus. He breathed life into man, named him, walked with him, taught him right from wrong. He placed him outside the garden when he sinned, and he hung on the cross to forgive man for that sin. It is Jesus. He went before the armies of Israel and gave them victory, and he gives victory to those who humble themselves before him today. It is Jesus. He was born a baby in Bethlehem. Walked the earth among those he created. He healed. He taught like no one ever had and no one ever will teach. It is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It is Jesus. He washed the feet of his disciples and he washes away the sins of those who seek him today. It is Jesus. He died, rose again coming back. He crushed the head of the serpent. He has sealed the fate of the devil. He has gone to prepare a place for his children and his father's kingdom. It is Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our Savior. And I don't believe. Amen. I don't believe the church will ever be free of persecution, but one thing history has proven is that persecution only strengthens the church, and that's why I think the church in other countries are stronger than what it is here in the United States. But I do believe that the church can be healed from these divisions, that we can prevent these teachings and doctrines of the world from infiltrating God's house here in the United States. We have to. How else can we be most effective for His kingdom? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And I'm sure we're all familiar with that historical quote. Folks, this will happen when we surrender our agendas, our sins, when we stop allowing the world or legislation or the culture to determine our doctrine. I believe that we can come to call sin for what it is, as Jesus did, and still follow his example to show love and compassion to the lost those who even though they might be in the body today and being pulled to and fro from the wickedness and deceitfulness of this world, we can show them the truth. There's a balance. There's a formula. And I know this because Jesus taught and modeled it. See, those verses I read in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, that's the way that Jesus Christ has led us follow we don't need to compromise as paul writes we can speak the truth in love we can grow in him jesus is the one who holds the body together and that's such a beautiful picture of what the church is to look like not everyone is going to hear and agree but let it not be because we're acting independent from the teachings and example of jesus jesus said many will hear and reject but we must stay the course some still might call me a hater They might say I'm intolerant, they might say I'm narrow-minded, and all I can do is run into my mighty fortress, make sure I am holding fast the truth of the word of God, remember that my battle is not against flesh and blood, and press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to go back as this passage in Matthew 10 ends with verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Are you willing? Are you ready to lose this life which Scripture says is but a vapor for the life that Jesus has which is wrapped in the presence and glory of God? Folks, look at our world. See the hatred, the killing, the selfish acts of wickedness, corruption, the pain, the suffering, the depravity of man. God has given us the answer, the antidote, and that is Jesus Christ. The church must be different. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. When you read Revelation chapters 2 through 3, you see the seven churches each characterized by their behavior. In Ephesus, it was the loveless church. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Pergamum, the compromising church. Thyatira, the corrupt church. Sardis, the dead church. Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And Philadelphia, the faithful church. I want it to be said of Riverside Community Church and the universal church of Jesus Christ around the world to be said of what it said in Philadelphia. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Let us be this church. Christ followers divides. The very person of Jesus forces a decision. We are either for him or against him, but the decision is yours to make. And I pray that today I've helped you see some truth so that you... Choose correctly. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that you have shown us that there is the way to follow you and the consequences or the benefits that we have from giving our life to you through our faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that also in your goodness as a father, you have told us, hey, if you deny me though, this is what you can expect, like a good father does helps his children see the danger of going apart from you. And I thank you that you have given us the hope of the cross through the death of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that even though the world wants to come in with its false teachings and false doctrine, its bad definition of tolerance, and bring division in the church, I am thankful that you have promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and you have given those of us here today the opportunity to be part of your work your kingdom, while we live right now. And I thank you for that incredible, incredible blessing. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Folks, if you made that decision for Christ, please come and join me up front. We want to pray with you. Um, Otherwise, God bless you and have a great day.